TikTok is not new, and TikTok is not just for Gen Z. In today's special interview, I have a guest who has been doing social media for more than a decade, was on TikTok when it was called Musical.ly, and has a lot of advice, no matter how old or young you are, to help your brand grow with TikTok in this next episode of the Your Digital Marketing Coach podcast. Digital, social media, content influencer, marketing, blogging, podcasting, vlogging, TikToking, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, SEO, SEM, PPC, email marketing. Whew. There's a lot to cover. Whether you're a marketing professional, entrepreneur, or business owner, you need someone you can rely on for expert advice. Good thing you've got Neil on your side. Because Neil Schaefer is your, your digital, digital marketing, marketing coach. coach. Helping you grow your business with digital-first marketing, one episode at a time. This is your digital marketing coach, and this is Neil Schaefer. Hey, everybody. Neil Schaefer here. I'm your digital marketing coach. Welcome to my podcast. So... Over the last several episodes, I've talked a lot about short-form video, and I've talked a lot about TikTok. And if you visit my blog, neilshafer.com, I also blog a lot about TikTok recently, really building up what I call my library of content. More details on what that means are coming up as I am in the development of creating my first online course, where I want to teach you what I have learned. But getting back to TikTok... When I publish content on social networks such as LinkedIn and Twitter, vis-a-vis TikTok, there is often a pushback. Well, it's been banned in India, Neil. Well, it's been banned on government devices in some states in the U.S. government. Uh, TikTok's just going to get banned outright. And this is the common, well, one of the common pushbacks I get. The other common pushback is it's spyware. Everything you do is being spied upon by the Chinese government. In fact, I had one of my friends who lives in the Bay Area, who is, I believe, Taiwanese or Taiwanese-American, and she posted something about Nancy Pelosi visiting Taiwan and how Nancy had a lot of guts to do that, or a lot of balls, as she said, and that post was apparently deleted from TikTok. So if there is no free, free speech on TikTok, that is obviously a big issue. I did see the Chinese balloon incident was covered on TikTok, so I don't think that's the case. But here's the thing, and I'm going to record this in a separate episode. But if you understand that social media today equals short form video, if you want to leverage social media as a strategic marketing channel for your brand, business or personal, you need to do short form video. That is where the action is, that's where the visibility is. And whether or not you decide to post on TikTok, is a whole other story. But at least understand it from a consumer perspective, understand it from a creator perspective, and you, I should say, your content will be all the better because it requires a different way of thinking about content. But if you're able to understand it, your short form video is gonna go from boomer, as my uh, Gen Z daughter would call it, to truly authentic content that any TikTok user, regardless of age, will enjoy. And I will tell you, I have not been as active on TikTok as I would like to be, but when I do publish on TikTok, I find that my posts actually get more 
visibility, or I should say impressions or views on Instagram. And then I get even more views on YouTube shorts. So TikTok may not be the end goal. TikTok may be banned. Who knows? Especially if we have a a different president in the White House uh, two years from now, we don't know what's going to happen. But even if it goes away, there is a lot to learn. And something tells me, even if it was to go away, it would merely be bought out by an American company, similar to how, well, musically, was bought out by TikTok. So I want you to think about that as you listen to this interview. And I think my guest today, Cassie Petrie, really lays out the benefits of using TikTok from a no-nonsense, actually, I believe she's a Gen Xer like me. She might be a millennial, sorry. Either way, they're a boomer in, in the eyes of Gen Z. But I think that she lays out leveraging TikTok, just it's a natural thing to do especially if you're in the music industry that she's in. But even if you're not in the music industry, there's a heck of a lot that you're going to get out of this interview. So without further ado, let's jump right in to my interview with Cassie Petri. You're listening to Your Digital Marketing Coach. This is Neil Schaefer. Cassie, welcome to the Your Digital Marketing Coach podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Cassie, I I know that you have done amazing things in the world of promoting artists, musicians. You've done a lot with TikTok, and I know we're going to talk more about that. But let's just take a step back. I know that you've done a lot in the music industry. So are you a musician yourself, or how did this all get started? I am not a musician at all. Um, I can play a little bit of guitar, but that's through like ultimate guitar tab website. And I really wanted to learn how to play hero by Enrique, Enrique Iglesias when I was in high school. So I did that and learned a little bit in the process. It was like a fun party trick I wanted to have for some bizarre reason. Um, But I am grateful for the knowledge I gained from wanting to learn that party trick. But beyond that, no, not really a musician. Nobody in my family is musical. And I didn't really have a lot of interest in music until I went to my first concert when I was 12. And the only reason I went to my first concert when I was probably 11 or 12 was because my softball team won a championship and our gift was to go to a Backstreet Boys concert (laughs) from winning that. And then when I went, that, that experience changed my life. I loved you know, I'd obviously heard of them and had heard some of their music and like enjoyed music with my friends. But I think the experience of everyone being excited about the same act, the same songs in an arena together, that experience was so powerful and so incredible that I became enthralled in it and wanted to be involved in that in every way possible from that day forward. That's actually a great icebreaker question that I should ask all my guests. What was the first concert you went to? I, I I have four older brothers and they were all really into music growing up. So I actually saw Elton John when I was five years old. But it was cool. my second concert where I saw The Clash play with the English Speed at the Hollywood Palladium during the Combat Rock Tour. And that that just got me full on into the, the punk rock scene, you know, slamming and skanking and all that. But anyway, let's let's get back to the topic. So So that got you into music. But I guess professionally, though... What did you start doing and then how did that get you into working with musicians? So around this, like after I went to the Backstreet Boys concert, it was kind of timed perfectly with sort of the introduction to AOL becoming a widespread thing in the United States. That's America Online for those that don't know. (laughs) Yes, America Online, AOL had the fun like dial up 
noise and you know you connected to the internet via your phone line at that point um it was a really exciting time but you know i think before that like computers were sort of like this clunky thing and that you didn't really you could maybe play like some you know some game where you would press like ones and twos and like to you know bet on a racehorse or something but it was you couldn't connect to the internet and if you think about it computers aren't really that you know as fun without the internet without being able to connect with people so i think this sort of like tool existing to be able to to a normal person have a computer at home and be able to connect and do things on the internet was it really changed a lot of things in pop culture at that time and i was you know this was sort of the beginning of middle school for me around the same time i you know after i'd seen the backstreet boys in concert and i kind of combined the love of those two things and use the internet to aid me being a fan of the Backstreet Boys. So I started this like email list thing that I would, you know, send out blasts several times a week and had subscribers and yeah, it it was really fun. And I met a lot of people that way. And it was sort of an outlet for like loving the Backstreet Boys. And then I was also learned HTML, learn how to make websites. I bought like a book that was like HTML in 21 days and did all the exercise in it, but applied the Backstreet Boys to all of those exercises. Nice. Um, so I, you know, I, I, so those two like loves kind of came together. And I think I sort of used, you know, the internet is my way of expressing myself about how I felt about Backstreet Boys and, and other artists, you know, later on as I, as I got older and that sort of became the base for where my career began. And I, I, when I was about 14 or 15, I had, a family friend tell me, you know, there's jobs that aren't being the artist on stage because I never wanted to be the artist on stage. I didn't have that skill set. I think when I was in elementary school, I actually got like rejected from being in the school choir. That is that is not where my strengths lie. Um, but I was really good at this Internet thing and I, I had a lot of fun doing it, too. And uh, so I was you know, starting to see how I liked business and communications from that experience. And a family friend was like, you know, there's jobs that aren't being on stage and it from that point on i became obsessed with building my resume and figuring out how i could be a part of this world and this industry so i assume that all this led to you getting that first job that foothold into the industry did it pretty much go smoothly from there it's it's always been like you know never like there's never been like a quote unquote overnight success moment but yeah everything is kind of one thing has always sort of led to the next so you know when once i became obsessed with the idea of working in the music business i was like okay i got to get experience because in this book i read about how hard it is to get a job in the music business so i was i lived in louisville kentucky so there's you know not exactly like a music hub but i you know the one thing that anybody who's looking to like get experience in music Every town or every city has local bands mm. and all local bands are underfunded and need help. And that's a really great way to meet people and gain experience. So that's what I did. I found local artists, local managers and local record labels who were tiny and would take, you know, a 15 year old who wanted to volunteer and post flyers or help run a there's a website called Pure Volume at the time, help run an artist Pure Volume page or have you know ideas on how they could help build a fan base so those opportunities i sought out built a pretty nice resume which led to me getting 
uh, when I was 17, I got a job as a college rep for the Warner Music Group. And the college rep programs are an entry point for a lot of people in the music industry who don't have connections. And usually somebody doesn't get a college rep job till the end of their college career. But I got it early because I had built my resume with these things that showed that I was passionate and that I you know, had some experience in terms of helping people and adding value to music career. So I got a job at Warner Music Group as a college rep. And then this is, you know, where timing kind of comes into play again. That was my first year. Oh, that was going into my first year of college. And at the same time, MySpace came on the scene. Mm-hmm. And MySpace, I would say, is sort of the first kind of moderate, like as we see social media today, I would say that was like the first entry point to like how modern day social media works. And this was 2004. And I was, I looked at MySpace and I, and again, it comes back to local bands a lot for me. I saw local bands at my college campus using MySpace to promote shows. And I went to my boss and I'm like, why don't Warner, you know, why don't major label Warner artists use MySpace to promote their shows and their career? And she's like, I don't really know what MySpace is, but I'll let you pick an artist and I'll let you run their MySpace page. So I did that. And that eventually led me to sort of transferring from college rep to working at Warner Music Nashville running one myspace pages but two doing other digital things for country christian artists and um they also have a lot of comedy um acts signed there so i was doing digital marketing for you know those genres within in the company and i was kind of a a trailblazer in the sense that i did all this first within the warner music group before we saw other departments doing it and then i saw like other departments doing it in other cities and uh, you know, like mainstream, like pop and rock acts, like so kind of modeling my strategy and ideas. And at the time I was really excited. I'd probably be a little more pissed off now because I was sort of getting, I was like a temp and I, my, all my ideas were kind of like getting ripped off by like high level people. Right. And other parts of the Warner music group. But at the time I was like, wow, like this big artist that I've known of for like 10 years wants to like w- do what I'm doing. That's really cool. So that's, you know, that's, you know, where I sort of, you know, got my place into the Warner Music Group. And I worked there for three years as a temp. And there still weren't like social media jobs yet. Like you're, we we're still kind of fighting for attention from the high level executives. We were still fighting for our spot and the weekly marketing meetings. And I liked, but I liked what I was doing. And I thought that it was going to continue going. But this was about 2007. And, and the term social media manager didn't exist at that point right so it was time to leave the label because there wasn't a job for me to grow into in social media but i wanted to continue developing that path and that you know in that part of my career because i I was like i found something i like i don't want to abandon it so that's that was led to the beginning of of crowd surf and we that was over 15 years ago and we've been doing our thing ever since so what what I love about your story, Cassie, is that you, and it, it's something that I have to remind my clients about, which is you understand the heart of a fan. And, you know, we, the original Facebook business, business pages, they were, they were fan pages, right? All about fans. And you understand what, it, what it's like to be on the other side and what fans want from an artist, or I would say the same from a brand or a business. Yes. And it's something that a lot of, a lot of people don't have. And I'm also really passionate about music. I wrote... I like wrote for like a U2 fanzine growing up and 
and I, you know, AOL chat rooms, we probably talked to each other at one point in one of those. Um, <laughs> those were fun. Yeah, they were fun. But I think that's something that we all have to remember because in social media, we're all competing against all these other people and, and all these other events and these amazing, you know, the, the comedy and, and, you know, whatever that's going around there. So I, I love that you started with that base and you started your company. So when you started your company, I'm assuming you were primarily working on social media marketing for musicians, or have you since then expanded that into working with other types of companies or other types of services? Yeah. So when we started, it's definitely very music focused. And I would say it still is pretty music focused. I've dabbled and I, I would say a lot of like music adjacent stuff over the years. So like we do have some comedy clients, but I also had that experience from the record label. And I would say comedy and recording artists have a lot of similarities because they both tour. They both have a big project that they release. It's just instead of a album, it's a special. Um, so there, there's a lot of similarities in terms of like structure, in terms of having fans, that sort of thing. But comedy, some like actors, actresses, occasionally some brand stuff, but I would say like over 90% of what we do is music artists based. And and I think I'm I'm good with that. Gotcha. But I, I want the listeners, it's like, oh, well, I'm not a musician. I'm going to tune out. No, don't don't hit the fast forward button because <laughs> everything we're talking about here is relevant for every brand. I've, I've also worked with a musician client and it's sort of the same concepts. I want to encourage you to keep listening because Cassie, you're one of the rare, you know, social media people that remember AOL, that remember MySpace. So you went through the iterations of Facebook being very viral and then Instagram coming on the scene. And then we've had Google Plus, we've had all these other things. Yep. But I want to get to what we're going to talk about today. So TikTok comes out of nowhere, 2018, 2019. Then we hit COVID. From your perspective, when you first saw TikTok, what did you think? Like thinking of your client base of musicians, what, what was your original thought? Like, did you think, because my musician client, the minute he saw Instagram, he fell in love with it and he knew that was the future. He would create videos to teach his fans how to use Instagram because he wanted them on that platform so bad, right? So I'm curious, when you saw TikTok, did you have a, what were your feelings about it? Um, well, I remember when it when it was Musical.ly. Yeah, okay, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so I, I this was probably, what, 2016 would have been Musical.ly? Yeah. I've been begging people since 2016 to get on Musical.ly. I, I, I knew it as soon as I saw it, that it was it. Got it. I saw, because it already had audience, I saw where I, I thought it was going to kind of go. I saw talent building fan bases based upon it. It hit a, it built a place in the marketplace that wasn't being satisfied. And as soon as I saw it, I knew it's just, you just, when you like, and I, I've seen this happen over, over and over again, when you know, you know, and I, I knew when I saw Musical.ly, I was like, yeah, this is going to be huge one day. And honestly, it was huge even at that moment. You know, the, it it was it was still massive in 2016, not the same way, you know, it was at the beginning of the pandemic. But there were millions of people on there, and yeah. there it, there was a lot of people making content, and there were talent on there that didn't have an audience before that were garnering millions of followers and millions of views per video. Like it was it was a real audience, and that that was super clear to me for from the first moment that I I saw it. And I actually, to the artist I manage today, I actually know from musically, it just clicked. I knew it was it as soon as I saw it. And it makes a lot of sense because back then, the only users that were on it were passionate about music, right? So your audience is there. 
Yeah. But now we have TikToks. Obviously, this has expanded. Musically is still at its core. Music, in many ways, is still at its core for for a lot of users. But, you know, for the brands or maybe musicians and artists that are listening, what would you say for those that haven't yet taken the plunge, which there's actually surprisingly a lot of, especially on the small business side, that haven't taken that plunge, you know, what would you recommend as sort of best practices of how to go about actually launching your TikTok account? Yeah, so there's there's still opportunity to to launch and grow on the TikTok platform. I would say the most important thing is before you even get on there, sort of have a vision of what your video content is going to be and don't make it about try like the worst thing I think I see people do is they basically like copy videos from other people <laughs> and try to make it them themselves and it just doesn't really work and it's something i like to do to help inspire people to figure out what their video content is going to be is to kind of take away all the judgments and preconceived notions you have about tiktok whether it's like dance videos or whatever you think about when you think about tiktok it I, and I, I do this with all social media platforms i like to take a step back if other people didn't use it and you're using this tool for the first time. You have to really think about it. What is it as a core as a tool? And all TikTok really is at its core is a platform for posting short form vertical videos. And you can upload whatever you want in that platform. And I think when you get out of your head about what everyone else is doing and just think about what a tool is at its core, that's when a lot of people sort of find the freedom to come up with the best ideas on what they can create to that represents their brand and something that they're proud of posting versus doing something because they have to. Because if you come at a place of, you know, posting on a TikTok account because you have to, I feel like that content's never going to be good. You need to do it because you want to and because you're proud of it and because you feel like whatever you're posting is a representation of what your brand is. And that goes with any social media platform. The minute it's like, oh, I got to post every day, the, the quality of content always goes down. But yeah. I really love that thinking of it as a blank slate because people just forget. They think, oh, TikTok's all about the dances. And then some do get caught up. Like I, I have two high school kids. It's okay for them to copy those videos because that's what high schoolers do. And it's cool. And yes. It's fun. Right. But for brands, it's a different story. Yeah. And like if there's a dance you want to do because you genuinely think it's fun, cool. Like, yeah. and you feel like it fits your brand. Cool. But whenever, when you get in a situation where you're doing something because you feel like you have to, or that's going to get you the best numbers, that's where I feel like people start creating the content that's not good for them is when you start chasing, when you either do, are making content because you are, are afraid or you feel guilty or because you think something, you're making something because you think it's going to get good numbers and not because you think it's fun or because you think it's good for your brand that's where i feel like people one the content doesn't do well because the, your audience can feel that and then two it starts creating sort of friction be, with, with your relationship with the platform yeah and I, and I think i've seen some people talk about this but they create you know they figure out the formula for you know creating a quote unquote viral video but it has zero business impact, right? It's just people, you know, there's no alignment between what you, your brand and what you want to talk about, how you want to be thought of and the content. So, so let's say, you know, a brand goes through that process or an artist, musician, and they come up with some ideas and they start creating this short form video content and they start sort of posting it. You know, what would be your advice for 
once they get in that, they, they get their first 10, 20, 30 followers just organically. It may take some time, maybe quick, who knows. But how would you recommend they go about growing their account over time? And I know we're going to talk about influencer collaborations and and I agree that's that's really key. But taking away the influencer collaboration, what are some things you recommend they do to become a bigger organic entity on TikTok? So the thing that's really awesome about TikTok is that it provides more opportunity for or like organic people to come or organic views and for people to come across it than like platforms like Instagram or Facebook traditionally have. Totally. So I always tell people to stay focused on the quality of the video and to figure out how to create good quality videos that they're proud of on a frequent basis. But you don't want to get in the position where you're like, I have to post every day because then that's what that's when I feel the content or the quality of the content can go down if you don't have a system in place to create good content. So I think it's figuring out one, how to consistently create content that you're proud of and refining that over time because you know i would say and i would say another thing that i think is really important is to not i always compare this to let's say you decided you wanted to join crossfit you wouldn't go in and like do the same workout that somebody that's been doing it for two years has done you're not going to go in and like be trying to lift some 200 pound weight or something. No, you're going to start small. So it's like, okay, you don't have a TikTok account. So let's see, bottom one of the pyramid is creating a TikTok account. (laughs) And then level two is going to be like, okay, this month you're going to post two to four videos. Okay, cool. Maybe next month do five or six. Like you have to, you have to work out to get there. It is, you aren't going to go straight from not having a TikTok account to like best practices in a month. That's just unrealistic. And I think a lot of people give up because they you're like okay i'm going to join tiktok i'm going to read about best practices on how to run a tiktok account and then you try to follow the best practices and you get discouraged because it's there's no way that a person with no experience is going to jump straight into best practices so figure out your sort of tiered approach to become I think your goal should just be to do a little better than the last month so it's like okay this month i got 10 followers next month i'm going to try to get 20. And then, you know, and then I'm going to, and then I think another thing anybody can always do to do well on social media is to spend time not being about themselves. So yes, you, you contribute to the conversation, you make content for yourself, but dedicate some time to commenting on other people's videos, maybe following some accounts, maybe, you know, responding to all the comments you get, maybe following some new accounts, maybe commenting on some general really popular videos that are coming up on your for you page but dedicate time to be a part of a social community not just to post and hope that people come to you like you have to you have to be out there giving the engagement to other people that you want to be receiving so you have to put your karma out there and be social and be supportive of other people's content if you want people to eventually be supportive of yours yeah amen that's such great advice and i think that a lot of businesses, they just look at social media as being this one-way street, right? Of just posting and they forget about that other side. So I want to uh, go a little bit deeper into that create high quality content. So a lot of myths like, can I create a high quality content using an iPhone? 
Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. <laughs> wanted that confirmation. And then yeah. when, so when you talk about high quality content, this is content that is not just shot at one take. You're you're putting some thought. You're are you storyboarding before it? Are you adding animations? I mean, and it's gonna be different for everybody, right? But but mm-hmm. you're because I've seen some content that does really well on TikTok that looks like it was just naturally shot. Yeah. But it looks it but so it's like this authentic yet high quality. So how do you go about defining? Because normally when we think about video and high quality content, this is what a lot of people get messed up on. They buy mm-hmm. like, you know, ring lights and video cameras and all this stuff, but you see people successful without that. So how would you like, what would be the defining way of looking at, you know, how the listener should approach this definition of high quality content on TikTok? Yeah, it, it, I'm glad you brought that up because I do think a lot of people think like, oh, I need to get this type of camera or this kind of equipment and this editing software. And I I think it comes down to more about like, I think knowing what your goals are as a brand outside of social media and then being thoughtful about all the video content you make and does it lend itself to that goal? Like, let's say it's the 80s. Social media doesn't exist. What are your goals as a brand? Who do you want your audience to be? How do you want your brand to make them feel? And, And you're like, okay, now we have these extra tools that you don't have to pay for you know, like advertising style to use. How do you use these tools to accomplish that goal? Yeah. So, so what you're getting as that definition of quality content is, is not, it's not the way we traditionally think about it. Is it, does it help you reach, does the content help you reach that goal, create that emotion in the listener, get them to do something that you, you might ask them to do. Is that sort of the approach then? Yeah. And I always think about how do you want your brand to make people feel and in your video content, your social media content is an extension of that. And if your content is making people feel that way, that's great. Yeah, that's, it's funny. I I, I was right before this call, this podcast interview, I had my weekly uh, digital first group coaching mastermind community call. And, and we actually have one participant. We were going over this exact same thing. And I'll give a shout out to you, Johanna, because I know you're trying hard. And it's, you know, doing going through the motion of creating the TikTok videos, yet they don't necessarily all have the calls to action or they don't, they're not always aligned with what is the next step or getting connected to the super fan that you need to help drive the conversation forward, right? So that's such great advice. And I think with TikTok, it's easy just to get lost in all the training audio and the dances and everything else we talked about. So really, really great um, grounded advice. I want to get into you, you hinted at before we talked about the high quality content of this, this notion that the yin and yang, the yin is the content creation, the yang is going out, actually meeting people, you know, engaging with the people you want to engage with you, what have you. So as part of that, I think this naturally leads to the conversation of influencer collaborations. So I'll be really curious from a musician perspective, because you've obviously traditionally worked with musicians. How do musicians approach influencer collaborations on TikTok? It's a, it's interesting because I think it's changed a lot at the beginning of, you know, 2020, I think it was throwing money at anybody who would use your song in your video. Uh, And I think we saw that that maybe worked in some scenarios, but maybe there should be a little more thought into that. And then just the money and the audience is not enough. I, I actually had a really great conversation this morning with a client who said, I'm willing to put a good amount of money into influencer marketing next year. He's like, who's the biggest person I can get? And I'm like, let's approach it a different way. Instead of thinking about who's the biggest person you can get, let's think about 
who's going to make the best content surrounding your music and brand, whether it's somebody with 10,000 followers or 10 million. I want the piece of content to be great because a a piece of content that's great from somebody who has 10,000 followers is is probably going to get more views than a mediocre piece of content from somebody with 10 million followers. It's going to hit like, you know, probably get six figure views, minimum view count that that account gets because it's they're just doing it for money and people can can feel that but if somebody makes a, something really great and that's the thing that's really cool about TikTok is you can get impressions way beyond the amount of followers you have if the video is great and people mm-hmm. like it that's really cool so i think i i'm really pushing people to think about who's going to create a great piece of content around you or with you versus who has the biggest audience and that's the best way to find the best collaborators for you is who's who's going to bring out the best in each other who's going to make something awesome you know kind of the same way when people you know go in and do songs together and sometimes you know celebrity and audience plays a factor in that but a lot of times you'll see a really big artist collaborate with a smaller artist because just because they like them and because they know that the song's going to be good and i think you have to approach content collaborations the same way who's who am i gonna who's gonna bring the best out of me who am i gonna bring the best out of how are we gonna just make something that's fun that we enjoy making and feel special to us who's the who's the right match for that yeah that's that's really awesome advice and i'm just thinking back to some of the concerts of like lone justice opening up for you two or one of my favorite indie bands a joy formidable was chosen by the foo fighters to join them on the european so that same like who is that partner that we choose based on what we like about them. Yes. And it's something we forget. And I think I, I, you know, you, you're like preaching like just pure gold today because, you know, TikTok is different in that the algorithm doesn't lie. So it's no longer, I think influencer marketing before TikTok was about follower count, mm-hmm. but now it's, it's the algorithm doesn't lie. The good content will show to way more people than your followers. And I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more um, about finding that right match with the content. If you don't genuinely love the content they're creating, look for right, look for someone that you do love. So I think that's a great sort of like north star guiding light for the listeners. And um, yeah, you know, any other advice? Because I know that you've done a lot of influencer collaborations on TikTok. I guess one of the the general questions is TikTok has its own creator marketplace. You can look for people, reach out yourself, or you can use a third party influencer marketplace. Based on your experience, have you done all those three? Would you recommend any one of those three approaches? And obviously using an agency like yourself, my apologies, that there's a fourth way of doing it, right? Yeah. I mean, I, so I have done, you know, us as a company has done that before, but I think it just depends on bandwidth. Like, like yeah. if you have enough time, I think anybody could do the one-to-one marketing and reach out to people themselves. And fortunately, creators are really smart and know how to make their contact info available on profiles and make it easy to contact them. So if you have the time, you can reach out to people yourself. I think I, I look at agencies when you hire an agency is more of a time saver than like somebody doing something you can't do. Like it, it you know, it can be nice to a certain ex- extent because yes, they do have reputation. They do have pre-existing relationships, but they're also probably going to be reaching out to a lot of people for the first time the same way you would. So if you're doing a large amount and have a large budget, agency can be good because it'll save you a lot of time but if you just 
like have like three people you want to collaborate with, I would say just figure out, you know, obviously be as professional as you can about it. But I think it's fine to give those, you know, those emails a swing yourself. You know, you can do the research yourself on figuring out who's great to work with. And, you know, it, the the key thing when reaching out to somebody to collaborate with is you have to figure out how it's not just you asking for a favor. There has to be an upside to both parties involved. And that upside to the other party can be cash. Or if you all both have like audiences that you can kind of trade in the sense of, you know, if you do a piece of content together, like you all are both going to benefit from it, you know, that can be the upside. But you just have to make sure that whoever you're reaching out to, you're not trying to like beg for a favor and you get more out of it than they do. You have to figure out how it's fair to everyone in the the collaboration and the transaction. Yeah. Amen. I, I always refer to this and a lot of other people's WIFM, what's in it for me, right? Yep. I love that. Yeah. So let me ask you, and I'm just thinking once again about Johanna, like I'm almost asking questions <laughs> on her behalf. So what if you spent the time researching, you just can't find enough influencers? Believe huh. it or not. Really? Well, I would say you need to go a little bit broader then in, in sort of who you target, but w- would there be a scenario where an agency's not right? Well, an agency would always be right if you have the budget, obviously, you don't have the time. Um, but if you have the time and you don't have the budget, but you can't find them yourself, where would you, if you had to choose between TikTok creator marketplace and like going with third party, or, or would there be another way to do it that you recommend? Um, I mean, I think TikTok, you know, the creator marketplace could be, could be good. It's always going to be probably a little bit less than an agency um, because most agencies, they're probably going to have like a $10,000 minimum of spend. It's, you know, it it really, I think, comes down to to budget. Yeah. Another thing you could probably do, you could probably hire a a consultant to help you research. Mm. um, And that might be less than an agency and might be, you know, easier. Um, but I think it really just comes down to like the scope of work in the project. Got it. Well, there you go. Everyone listening, there's, you have a few different avenues, but it's all about that collaborative relationship, the win-win. Cassie, you've given us so much amazing advice and really, you know, I'm not going to say dumb down TikTok because it, it's not as easy as it sounds, but I think you've made it really practical and actionable and, and rational although it's very trendy um, that we can treat it like any other marketing initiative. So thank you so much. Um, if people are interested in reaching out and finding out more about you and your company, where should they go? Just hit me up on Instagram. I'm just Cassie, C-A-S-S-I-E, Petrie, P-E-T-R-E-Y. And I will say on my own personal social media, probably the place I'm actually most active is DMs in terms of giving advice or introducing people or that sort of thing. So I I like answering questions. I like learning from other people. I like having conversations. So if you have anything you want to dig into, feel free to reach out to me there. That's awesome. And obviously, if you're a musician, it goes without <laughs> saying. Every now and then I do get musicians that reach out, like, you know, and and so now I know who to point them to in the future. But Katsi, thank you so much. Any other like final advice that um, you know, we didn't uh, hit on in this conversation? No, I, I I don't think so. I really enjoyed our conversation. And again, I'm all about simplifying this stuff because I think when people make it too complicated is when people sort of throw their hands up and they're like, this is scary and too complicated. I'd rather just not do it. But it really, when you take the emotion and how people are using it 
out of it, it you, I think you, it can really kind of, you know, provide some clarity on how those platforms might work for you. Awesome. So everybody have a Zen moment for the day. But uh, in the words of the late Kobe Bryant, you got to put in your reps as well. And, and it does not happen overnight. So Cassie, thank you so much again for being a guest. And uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to talk again in the future. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. I hope you thoroughly enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Uh, I am a big music fan. One of my early social media marketing consulting clients was a Grammy Award winning musician. I've always loved music myself. I actually have been a big YouTube fan. I used to write for YouTube fanzine back in the day when print was still the rage. And yeah, I really was inspired and really got a lot out of this interview. And I really hope that you did as well. Hey, if you're looking for help with your digital slash content slash influencer slash social media marketing, whether it's for your business or maybe you want to become a digital or already a digital entrepreneur. Well, I got good news for you. I have a special mastermind group called Digital First. We are digital entrepreneurs. We meet four times a month, one hour at a time over Zoom. We have a Slack community and we are sharing best practices, experiences, inspiring each other, holding each other accountable. Yeah, I think I got that right. And we are all growing together. We'd love to have you in the community. It currently is waitlist only, but go over to neilshafer.com slash membership to get on the waitlist. I might actually be launching a Patreon in the near future at a lower price with once a month Zooms instead of weekly. If that is something you're interested in, make sure you sign up, go to neilshafer.com slash membership or send me an email or contact me on social. My email address is neil at neilshafer.com. Don't be a fool. It's the real Neil, N-E-A-L. And you should understand how to spell my last name just by looking at the title of this uh, name of the podcast. But I would love to hear from you if that interests you. And obviously, if you want a little bit more special help for your business, I do have my fractional CMO consulting. I do have openings right now. It is a minimum contract of three months, one hour a week. So that's a minimum 12-hour commitment. It is a few thousand dollars. But hey, if you have the budget, For a little investment, man, we can get a lot done. Believe me, you know how fast I talk. And I try to help even faster and help you make impact with what little time and investment you make in our relationship. I'll stop there. This is not a sales podcast. I really want to help you as your digital marketing coach. This is Neil Schaefer signing off. You've been listening to your digital marketing coach. Questions, comments, requests? Links? Go to podcast.neilshafer.com. Get the show notes to this and 200 plus podcast episodes and neilshafer.com to tap into the 400 plus blog posts that Neil has published to support your business. While you're there, check out Neil's digital first group coaching membership community if you or your business needs a little helping hand. See you next time on your digital marketing coach.